This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Uh, Justin. Yeah, what's up? I just had I just had the good fortune of picking up podcast magazine because you gave it to me because you saw something. You never guess what I saw. What would you find? I found out uh, that they said that we we are actually one of the top podcasts to listen to while in quarantine. Can you believe really? it? Really? Yeah. 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 Us. Okay. Us. Like of all of all like anything you could listen to, we were chosen. Well, well how and high on the list were we? Uh, I think you told me that we were number 12. <laughs> That's right. We were number 12. Let's not, let's not say we're the top. We're, we're number 12. We're right in the middle of it. Okay. Okay. So we, <laughs> we, 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 we're, we're almost in the top 10, uh, but, uh, which is funny because I don't think my wife wants to hear me for, for uh, as long as she's heard me in quarantine. So uh, I think. You know, the best part is we share, we share in the cover. Uh, we have Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street on the cover of that issue. And we're right in there in the quarantine uh, article. That's that's pretty cool. I, I don't know what that says in the grand scheme of things, but I'm proud. I'm a I'm a proud podcaster now. And uh, you should be, too, man. Uh, so but but while I've been in quarantine, I've been thinking uh, about how to make some of that Internet money. And oh, I like uh, Internet money. You like Internet money. I like Internet money. And and, you know, one of the concepts that has always I thought was really great is this idea of putting content together and then selling it as like an e-learning thing. And it's such a good idea that every time I think about doing it, I feel like I'm making money. That's that's good. I mean, at least you make it, you're putting the thoughts out there and thoughts are things according to the secret. So yeah, roll with that. That, that, that's true. That's true. And, uh, but, uh, but, but I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck because I, I, I think I need to talk to someone who knows what they're doing. Cause just like a, being a podcast host, I don't know what I'm doing at all. So you got to start somewhere. You got to start. Somewhere. Can you help me? Can you help me with that? I think we can. I think we have someone for you today because this uh, we, we got really? someone that's going to be able to help you out. Let's, let's uh, go on. Our guest today, which uh, I'm going to introduce in a second, is going to be able to talk about e-learning platforms because he started one himself. Plus, he's a best-selling author with multiple well-known books that you've probably heard of if you're into marketing. So you got some exciting stuff coming up. Man, I can't wait to hear it. How do I listen to this great podcast? Well, first, uh, we got to introduce ourselves. So I'm Justin Womack. And I'm Andre Sturgeon. And we are the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right. So our guest, it turns out, is uh, a, uh, yes, a best-selling author, has developed a learning platform called learn.com, L-U-R-N, which is, uh, that is a great name. And uh, also uh, a speaker and uh, uh, all well, around. Let me let me let me give some extra accolades here. So he's yes, uh, please. He's an Inc. 5000 CEO. He's listed twice among the fastest growing companies in America. He's the founder of Learn.com, as Andres just mentioned. He's been recognized as a top three entrepreneur in the best U.S. entrepreneurs under 25. He's sold over 250 million worth of products online, all using a simple five-step psychological formula, which I'm going to have to ask about. And he's trained over 250,000 students around the world to do the same, written multiple best-selling books, spoken on stages for Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, and he's a consultant to legends like Damon John and Robert Kiyosaki, the rich dad, poor dad author, uh, as well as, so he wrote uh, Escape, the Email Lifeline, The Circle of Profit, Passion the Profit. You've probably heard of these books. You've probably seen them on Amazon. The best-selling author, Anik Singhal. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ah, I got that on recording now, so every morning. I'm so, do so do we. So do we. We're going to, in fact, we're going to take this recording and we're going to, after the show is over, uh, we're going to put it in our studio and erase it. So um, <laughs> it's all good. Uh so, uh, well, thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, about Learn and, and uh, give us kind of the rundown. Yeah, sure. So listen, a uh, real quick story about myself. I was never meant to be an entrepreneur. Um, I'm a genetic fluke in my family. And, um, you know, I look, I'm Indian. So I don't know the last time either of you was at the hospital, but go next time and look around. What do we become? Indians become doctors. That's what we are. And um, growing up, I knew one thing. I wanted to be rich. Um, I wanted to be financially very well off. I wanted to have every luxury in the world. You should have been a doctor. What's that? <laughs> you should have been a doctor. I, I know, right? So I would look around my family. And so very simple connection. As a kid, you can have a very simple mind. So look around. Who's got the nicest cars, biggest houses, most respect in the community? Doctors. And so as a kid, I thought I would be a doctor. I remember once I told my parents, I want to be a doctor. And they were glowing in pride and so excited. I was like, oh, yay, you know, uh, I'll be a doctor. So all the way through high school, I work hard. I've never been the smartest in a room ever, but I'm always the hardest working. I'll hustle anybody in a room. And so here I am um, doing all of this and, you know, working hard. And I have a straight A, uh, super awesome resume in high school because I got to get into the right college to become a great doctor. And um, I... Funny enough, the only class that I nearly failed in high school like, was my writing class, which is going to be very ironic as we get into my story later. Uh, I go to college. I get into one of the best programs in the world. I'm actually freshman year pre-med, so I still have a long way to go. I'm already being recruited by Harvard Medical School. Um, I mean, I'm set. Full scholarship, everything. The program I got into, only 60 people around the world get into. So it was, you know, it worked. I was on plan. Plan worked. Awesome. Life is set, going to be great. My parents are bragging about me. Everyone's super happy. But a week into first year of college, so this is very early freshman year, I, my eyes opened. It's actually more like two weeks. And I could not move. Like, I literally had the fear of the world come over me. I was petrified. And I, read, I, remember, I remember thinking, I can't go to this class. I, one more biology class, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> and the worst part of it was I thought, holy moly, I signed up to do this for the rest of my life. 
I'm only two weeks into bio 101. So, you know? so a couple of questions real quick. So yeah. do you like how traditional is your family? Uh, not very traditional to be honest. Okay. My parents are awesome. So um, it's just, you know, <laughs> to be, uh, it, here's the thing. You don't have to be very traditional Indian to know that you're supposed to be a doctor. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and that's just it because culturally there, there's sometimes there's a lot of pressure on children to, you know, really perform. Uh, did you feel that at all with, with your parents? Was there oh God, kind of this expectation? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So my dad, he's awesome. I love my dad. He is, he is my best friend. He is my role model. He is my hero. I'll never ever have anything bad to say about him, but he was tough. Um, so to give you an idea, I was studying for the SATs uh, in sixth grade. Ooh. I took my first SAT in seventh grade. Wow. wow. I, I, I took it, you know, I didn't study till like the, the week before for the SAT, and which was not smart, by the way. I don't know why. My parents just didn't even like put it on my radar. Uh, but it's just kind of just totally different. What, what I wanted to ask is when you, when you make this, or I guess you could finish your story here, but I want to hear when you made the actual decision to back out of this uh, med school, which I imagine you did, because I don't think you finished, um, how the parental reaction was to that. I imagine that would have been pretty negative, at least in the beginning. Yeah. And also, what, is it, was there like an inciting incident? Was there like one particular thing or was it just like you just got overcame with fear, as you were saying? But uh, yeah, what what was the exact moment that you were like, nope? And then what was the reaction of your parents? Yeah. So there wasn't an exact moment. I think what happened is, first of all, I have a health condition called Crohn's disease. And um, right before college started, uh, about a month before that, it went out of control and I needed to get surgeries. I was sick. So going into college, I was already kind of not feeling well. And I was in a very, very intense program. I mean, the program that only 60 people in the world get into, you can imagine the types of people I'm with. They're very brilliant, very smart. It takes a lot of work to keep up. And so I think it was piece by piece. And then it was just generally the classes were boring. Um, I had had a little bit of hint and dent here and there with entrepreneurship growing up. It was, you know, I, I was just trying to question everything that was being told around me. And um, I shared this with a very, with very few friends. I did not share it with a lot of people because of the very thing that you said. I was petrified of what my parents would do. And I didn't want to disappoint them. I didn't want to disappoint everybody. And I also felt guilty. Here I am sitting in the perfect situation. Literally, I have the perfect scenario. I'm set for life. I, if I just do as I'm told now, I will be a highly compensated doctor from probably an Ivy League university. Uh, I got it. I'm good. How the heck do I? Why am I miserable? How do I have a right to be miserable? And so a lot of this played on my head. There's probably a three or four friends that I even opened up to and shared with. But you know what? All of freshman year of college, I just dealt with it and I got through it. And then um, I ended up missing a semester of freshman college. I got so sick. Then I spent all summer catching up. On, on classes. I mean, I was just working like a dog. Can you imagine working like a dog on a subject and on things you hate? I mean, it's true definition of misery. <laughs> yeah. And so I start sophomore year, exact same thing happens again. I fall really sick again. I end up missing the first semester. I'm in tons of bad, tons of classes I don't want to take. And there's one moment. And so this is when it comes to my parents. Uh, and uh, I'm sitting in the library and my study buddy, my study partner, she walks in. Um, she's probably one of like the sweetest people I've ever met in my life at that point. She's just a very nice person. She walks in, sit down across the table from me in the library. I'm not paying attention to her or whatever. I'm just reading my book or my textbook. She gets up, takes a big sigh, takes my book, slams it shut, shoves it in my book bag, throws my book bag at me and says, enough, go talk to your parents now. 
And I'm like looking at her like, what? I have no idea what led to that. Um, I asked her once and she just basically told me like I would look miserable. She was tired of seeing me miserable. And she looks at me. She's like, get in your car right now. I lived about 45 minutes from my house. She's like, get in your car right now. Drive home. Call your parents. Go talk to them. Get rid of this. Be done with it. This isn't for you. And I was like, wow. And something about like the like just the, her eyes and her voice <laughs> made me get up. And literally, I called my parents. I said, I'm coming home. Can I talk to you? Wow. So sure. And um. I went home. Oh man, I was shaking. I, you know, and I told my parents and they both just looked at me and said, we're with you. We support you no matter what you're our son. Be happy. Go for it. And I'm like, what? And my dad's like, look, for the record, I, I think you're crazy. And I don't agree with your decision, but of course I'll support you. Do what you got to do. And I just, that was it. I'm like, what the, <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah, they're the best parents ever, like seriously. And they meant it. Now, the funny joke I have with them is when we go to parties now, right? Like family dinners and stuff. And people are like, oh my God, Anik, he's such a great entrepreneur. He's so successful. Congratulations. My dad would be like, I don't know what he was messing around with that medical stuff. I told him that he should be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm like all right, I'll give that one to you, dad. You were awesome, but <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I think it's funny how we can like build these things up in our head, you know, that there's going to be this horrible, horrible confrontation with our parents or with whoever, like the person is in our lives that we we think we have to have this special conversation with to make a big change, because I've experienced this in my own life, too. And usually when that conversation finally does happen, and I've heard you know, from my, in my own life and other people's lives that I've heard stories from, it, it, it's way, uh, way less impactful than we thought it was going to be, or it's way, it's way less of a big deal than we thought it was going to be. And it, I think it's really cool that somebody actually intervened on you and inspired you to actually go make that shift because uh, without that, who knows, maybe you're a, a miserable doctor, uh, you know, right now, especially if you were, if you were in the medical field, you'd be working in the, in the hospitals with, uh, with a lot of stressful situations going on. Viral load. Yeah. Viral yeah. load. It would have been nuts. Yeah. yeah Cause as, as we, as we record this right now, America is in, is in the apex of, of, uh, the Corona experience. Uh, so all's well that, that ends well. Uh, so, so you did now when you told your parents and you were like, this isn't for me, did you have any kind of plan of what you wanted to do beyond that? Or were you, were you just kind of like, I know this is no, I have to go to Ecuador and drink ayahuasca and have a spiritual experience and open my mind to, to what's coming. Or were you just like, Oh no, I'm just going to do this. Like what, what happened? Sure. So first of all, no, it definitely wasn't my personality to be like, hey, I'm just going to like go hang out now and be rad and go figure something out. So during this time that I was in med pre-med school, I had joined a company called World Financial Group. And I don't know what led me to joining it, but it was basically multi-level marketing financial planning. And so, um, you know, you build a team under you, but then you go out and you help people with their financial planning. It was really weird. And I was really damn good at it. Not the building a team part, but I was really good at getting clients. I had like $16 million under management at that point. So were you selling like life insurance then and like those kind of policies? Yeah. Life insurance, annuities, um, uh, um, mutual funds, retirement planning and, and stuff like that. Um, can you imagine like 18, 19 year olds kind of broke on himself, but like helping other people with their millions of dollars. And I was doing pretty well, actually, because in those days, markets were doing really good. You can pretty much throw your money anywhere. And what year was this? Oh, man, 2001, 2001, okay. 2002. So, you know, um, basically, uh, maybe 2002, 2003, I don't remember, but it was like it was going pretty well. And so I took away from that that I love business. That was my takeaway. 
and I love financial planning, you know? So my plan was I wanted to switch to business school and go get a degree in finance um, and that I would do financial planning because I had like serious exams passed. I was certified. I, it was a pretty interesting thing for a freshman, sophomore in college to have. And, and uh, here's where it gets funny. So that was my plan. I told my parents I wanted to do that. I didn't know what university I'd go to, but I knew I'd lose my full scholarship because no one gives full scholarships halfway through university. I'd have to take a ton more classes to catch up. And so that was on me. Uh, I never would have thought I won't go to college. Uh, that my, that is probably where my dad would have put his foot down and said, not happening. Um, but I, so I start applying to other universities and there's a really cool story about how I actually ended up at university of Maryland college park. Um, even though it was right up the street, but I wasn't going to go there. Uh, and something happened and it made me go there, but, uh, wait, wait, what happened? What happened? All right. So, uh, I'll get to that in a second. Cause it's, it is a bit of a crazy story, but just to go kind of finish up the question you asked by knowing what I want and ending up in Ecuador, you know, drinking something crazy. Uh, <laughs> I third year is my first, uh, I get into the program at University of Maryland, my first week of classes, I start going to classes and guess what? Friday morning after like four or five days of classes, I, my eyes open and I'm like, Oh my God, I hate this too. This sucks. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And that was when I genuinely thought, I'm like, dude, you're going to end up in your parents' basement as a loser. Like you don't like anything. Um, so luckily I'm a very introspective reflecting type of person. So I was able to figure out pretty quickly what was going on, why I wasn't enjoying anything and fix it. And obviously I didn't end up in my, well, I actually did end up in my parents' basement. That's a funny side story, <laughs> but that was because I was doing so well and traveling so much that I didn't have time to even buy a house. So I used to just go stay with them. But, um, Here's a funny side story, how I ended up. This is a very, one of my first uh, spiritual experiences, um, crazy, where I felt the universe spoke to me, nuts moments. Um, if someone doesn't believe in, you know, a higher force, maybe this will help. I got into a program at University of Maryland, but I had to, I had to make my choice. I was still scared, even though my parents approved me to get out of this medical program. The medical program I was in, they were fighting for me. They were like, you're stupid. You're crazy. What are you doing? This is ridiculous. You got to stay here. Why would you switch? You know, they were really putting the fear in me. And so I got into these programs. I got into University of Michigan, Ann Harbor. I got into University of Maryland. And it was the time to make the decision. You had to decide. And I'm, I'm not like, am I going to leave the program? Am I going to make this shift or not? My dad's kind of asking me like, son, you've got to send this letter back in. It's a new year. I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. First time in my life, I get down on my hands and knees and I pray. So new year's is coming. And I tell, like, I just got down that night and I was like, you know what? If you know, God, if you are there, they say you help, like make this decision for me because I don't know what the heck to do. I could end up ruining my whole life. And I left it at that. And I said, tomorrow, this is what I said. I said, tomorrow at midnight, which will be the new year, you will give me a sign. And I'm waiting for the sign. And only with that sign will I make a decision. So now this is on you. Thank you very much. Good night. And actually, now, now for, have you have you ever like done that before? Were, nope. were you raised with any kind of religious upbringing to, to your, your parents? Uh, my parents come from a Hindu background, but no, we were never that religious. I had never prayed. It was not a part of my day. And I don't know what the heck led me to do that that night. Um, so I did it. I fell asleep next morning, woke up. I forgot that I had even done that. And, um, I was supposed to be at my friend's house for new year's Eve uh, party. He's literally right up the street from me. I shouldn't, it's a, it's actually sad that I drove. I should walk, but, um, I drove to his house. Yay. New year's happens. Everyone's celebrating. I'm just so bummed out. So scared. So nervous. So bogged down with life. Five minutes into the new year's. I'm like, you know what guys, thank you very much. I'm going to go home. So I start to drive home. 
I'm winding the corner into my neighborhood street. Now know this, I've lived in this neighborhood at that point for like 12 years. I know in out, I know every nook and cranny of that neighborhood. I grew up in it. I've ran around every forest around it. I know everything. And I literally am turning into my street and I have to very quickly steer my car away because there's a big object in the middle of the street. I pull up next to it, open my door. It's a massive turtle. And I got to tell you, it's about, if I remember, it's about two feet long. Wow. This is a huge turtle. It doesn't make any sense there. It just doesn't. We have turtles in that area. Don't get me wrong. They're tiny, man. They're like four or five inches. I played with them growing up my whole life. Not that big. You're huge. So I remember thinking, this is strange. And I wasn't drunk. For those who are like, you're in years, I wasn't drinking <laughs> at all. I hadn't had a single drink that night. Uh, pull into my driveway. Uh, my house is maybe 100 yards, 70, 100, 70 to 100 yards away from that intersection. I pull into my garage, park my car, and I'm like, you know what? In my head, I think there's going to be a lot of drunk drivers tonight. I better, maybe I should go move that guy. He's right in the middle of a busy, like an intersection. He's going to get run over. So how long could it have taken for me to drive 70 to 100 yards, park my car, come back, walk out? Nowhere. Gone. Like, how fast does a turtle move? I looked all around because at this point, I'm freaked out. I'm like, I'm losing my mind. What the hell is going on? And I'm looking around and like, I do not see the turtle at all and just couldn't have moved that fast and didn't take me that long. Anyways, I shrug it off, walk into the house and um, there is a folder sitting on the table, a yellow folder with a note on it from my dad. And it says, time to make a decision, son. And so I reach into the folder and I pull it out and emerges in front of me the picture of a terrapin because that is the mascot of University of Maryland College Park. (laughs) What was inside that yellow folder was just the acceptance letter from University of Maryland and University of uh, Michigan Ann Arbor. And the first thing that just came out was the picture of the turtle. And I remember looking at it and then I suddenly remembered I asked for a sign. And so that was what made that that's actually what put you over the edge. then that's what made you make the decision. I, I, I signed, I signed it right there. I signed the acceptance letter right there and went to bed. What was the major that you were pursuing at, at the university of Maryland college park? Was that, was that the finance, finance. major? This was finance. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> man, I, I can't balance a book. If you put a gun to my head today, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's an incredible story. I've, I've had, I've had similar experiences and, and it's, you know, it's one of these things where when you're at a crossroads and you you really just say, OK, I'm open to the signs that the universe gives me. Give me a give me a door. Give me a window. Just give me something because, you know, wherever I'm going, it's not working out. I need I need something else. If you really listen to the signs of the universe, it's amazing what happens. Uh, so that's a that's a very powerful story. And, and let me ask you, did from that experience, did you find that you had more of a connection to a divine sort of, uh, mentality. Did you, did that, did that increase your faith on any level? Did you, um, or did you just become more sensitive to those types of things? Or did you just say, thanks anyway, God, I got it handled from here. I mean, (laughs) what was your, uh, what happened after that? Yeah. uh, I'm a little embarrassed to admit I kind of went the route. Thanks God. Got it from here. (laughs) (laughs) As many people do, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't. My, my spiritual awakening. I mean, if you look at me today, I would like to say I'm, I'm very tuned in. Um, It actually came from my wife when I met my wife and I went a completely different route. So, you know, now I follow the Bible. I follow Christ and um, pray a lot and uh, not nearly as much as I should, but I do look out for signs. I believe in the power of prayer. That's almost like a separate day, a separate episode, but uh, that didn't, it should have started then for crying out loud, um, but it didn't. Yeah, no, it's a, a very, very powerful story. And so what, what led you to eventually 
get to the path that you're on now with uh, learn.com? Like, how did that come about? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So I told you, right, I'm a very reflective person. So as soon as I went into this financial uh, degree program a weekend, I'm like, what the heck is this sucks. And so I went into a reflective mode, closed the door, shut the lights off, sat in my bed and said, we're not leaving this room until we figure this out. I realized something. My problem w- wasn't with necessarily the topics of anything. It was with the idea of education to begin with. It was the idea of lear- sit here and learn theory, do nothing. I don't resonate with that. I was like, I'm bored. And the reason I was really enjoying my financial planning job, quote unquote, was because I was out there every day doing my mentor in that company was teaching me how to sell. I was a shy, quiet person. I couldn't stand up in front of two people, say my name. Yet he had me up doing presentations in front of 30, 40 people. And so I was enjoying the execution side of this. And so I, I I saw that it registered and I decided, you know what, I don't have much money, but let's go try to start a business. If I think entrepreneurship is what I want to do. So I, I really felt strong about what I had figured out. So what did I do? I did what every, uh, I think a lot of us have done this at least once in our life. I went to back then Google was just kind of getting, becoming a big thing. So I went Google, help me out. Google.com. I typed in how to make money and auto-filled online. And I was like, sure, why not? And so I clicked that and that moment began a crazy 18 month long, painful, yet so, yet so, um, such a blessing of a journey because I went through all of the crazy stuff. And it's funny because of what you wanted to talk about with me, I went through everything. I saw all the stuff, your stuff envelopes, uh, survey responses. I, I didn't buy a lot of it, but I landed on a forum that was talking about the concept of selling information. And there was a lot of people on this forum that doesn't exist anymore now, but that um, said they sell PDF files through this company called ClickBank and they're selling them for 47 to hundred bucks and they're making 30, 40, 50 grand a month. And to me, because I was a college student paying thousands of dollars on textbooks every year, the innate idea of selling information made a ton of sense. It just made sense to me, it just clicked. And so I got really engrossed into it. And I was like, this is real. And then these were people I could actually talk to through the forum. They were real. You know, I believed them that they were making this kind of money and I got sucked into it. But dude, 18 months, I tried. I couldn't make a dang penny until I had my second angelic moment of my life where um, something broke away from me. And I was able to, I got a seriously feel like God sent someone else to really help me and give me a nudge up. But I almost quit 18 months of, you know, Every man has a breaking point. <laughs> I worked hard, man. Hustle was not something I needed to be told to do. I had a full docket in college. I still had my financial position job and I'd still work on my business three to four hours a day. I slept about three to four hours a day. Didn't go to a single college party, frat party, didn't go to any events, games, nothing. I was just hustling, working hard, but still struggling. Like it wasn't enough. Yeah. Part of the challenge there is like sorting through all the misinformation. And if you're looking up a topic, how to make money online, there's so much like even back then, there was just so much crap on there. And you have to like kind of figure out what's good, what's not, because the, the truth was out there. But there was also a lot of like other stuff that was, <laughs> all, you know, uh, blocking the path, those kind of paths. Right. A lot of scam. Do you just uh, do you just look at an X-Files uh, moment there? The truth is out there. The truth is out there. That's right. Yes. I, I grew up with the X-Files. One other thing I wanted to mention, though, is that I, I relate with that idea of like learning through experience because, uh, you know, I went to college and in, in high school, I always was able to go to class and do really well and remember and be a good test taker. 
um, but I never really absorbed the information. So I mean, I could I could get an A's and do very like do super well. But it, but like when it came like a year later, if you were to ask me questions about it, I wouldn't really remember all that much. But when I go out there and actually execute kind of like what you're saying, I learn things on a whole different level and I actually absorb and can retain information that it just doesn't doesn't work for me in any other way. So like I, I completely relate to that idea that like I have to be doing and active to actually be like taking information on a cellular level, put it that way. So, so is this, so you, you had a, uh, a revelation that, uh, and, and what, well, first of all, what led to that second revelation? Was there, was this again, the same sort of thing where you put, like you said, I'm going to pay attention to the science of the universe. Like what happened in that particular instance? No. So the second one was a little different. And I think there's a lesson to be learned here for a lot of people who are trying to be successful entrepreneurs. Um, our egos get in our way. So 18 months, I struggled and I tried everything, you know, and what I want to tell everybody who's listening is that just because a certain system is working for somebody doesn't mean it'll work for you. And that's nothing wrong with the system or the person who taught it to you. Maybe that's just not your skill set. So I was out there trying to do a bunch of things. And they just weren't working for me because it just wasn't, I guess it wasn't me. I don't know what it was, but it just wasn't working. So 18 months in, I get really frustrated. Now, here's the thing. It's getting close to the end of college. It's time to start making decisions about your future. Because I was so successful on the financial planning side, I had my degrees. Um, both, uh, three companies, Charles Schwab, JP Morgan, and Morgan Stanley, all three made me offers to come to New York and join at an investment banker level. Now, in college, at a financial degree, that is a dream come true. Most, mostly a University of Maryland undergrad finance degree, you're not going to get an investment banker position. Um, you just won't. Uh, but I did. And I was, looks like the first year out of undergrad, my first year with bonuses, I could make 80 to 100 grand, which would be double of what anyone else would make. So I'm sitting on this amazing opportunity and I don't want to take them. And I feel crazy. So I even, you know, I just don't know what to do. So I basically reached a point where I said, you know what, I might have to accept that this entrepreneurship thing isn't for me. I've been trying everything. So I went to that forum and I remember making a post. And this is what I want everyone here to walk away with is sometimes you got to reach out for help, man. And it is okay. I reach out for help more today than I ever have in my life. I don't care. I have zero ego. I'm all about the results. I'm all about growing and learning. So I went to this forum and I said, listen, everybody, um, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. You are all amazing. And, uh, here's what I've concluded. It's been 18 months. I haven't made a penny or I've made a little bit of money, but nothing to justify the time. If I don't have a big breakthrough here in the next 24 hours or less, where I can actually see some major money, uh, I'm going to quit. I won't be around anymore. I'm going to go get a job, do, do, do it the regular way and, you know, go on with my life. Now know this, this was a defeated post. This was a, I had no chance. I think what was going to happen in 24 hours and been trying for 18 months. I made the post. And I kind of call it my outcry for help, right? And um, within about an hour of making the post, I get a direct message on the forum, a private message. Remember, we didn't have Skype back then. We didn't have really Facebook Messenger and all these things. So I get a direct message on, on, on the forum by a person who I've never seen on the forum. And mind you, I used to spend two to three hours a day on the forum for almost a year and a half. I knew everybody. At this person, when you click on their profile, they had zero post history. They had been a member for a long time, but they had zero post history, never posted even once. And this person tells me, uh, literally to, to just kind of the vague gist of the post, kid, been watching you for a long time, very impressed with your hustle, don't want to see you quit. Here's what I'll offer you. For the next 24 hours, I will sit here at my computer and I will personally help you through direct message. You can ask me any question you want. We'll get you to make some money. I don't want to see you quit, but there's only two conditions. Number one, I'm not going to tell you who I am. You'll never know who I am. Number two, you promise to do this for other people. 
Wow. And and I sat there and I was like, this is definitely some idiot trolling me. Like someone wants to get, you know, uh, joy out of my misery. Like, what is this? this? Is ridiculous. And so the next thing I really want people to think through right now and you're listening is, man, sometimes the small, like I got goosebumps right now as I'm telling you guys this, but sometimes the smallest of decisions you make can literally change your life to the highest of degrees. I almost said no to that person that night because I was just scared. I just thought they're gonna make fun of me. But luckily I thought, what the heck do I have to lose? If he gets a good laugh or she gets a good laugh out of this, I'm out of here anyways, it won't impact me. So thankfully I had typed out a no thank you message. I deleted it and I said, all right, what do we do? I'm in. And sure enough, the person sat with me that night. I remember it was like two or three in the morning. I actually had a test the next morning at a different class, didn't study for it. So he, you know, this person was telling me what to do. And um, it led me to the system that I really still deploy till this day, which is crazy. And um, I made some posts. They told me what to do, told me to set it up this way, set it up that way, make this post, get some traffic, went to bed. Six hours later, alarm blares. I wake up. Of course, I have to get to my class, but I run to my laptop, pop it open, almost hit my head on the table. I was such, in such a hurry. Pull up ClickBank. And in that six hours of sleeping, I had made over $300 net to myself. Wow, that's awesome. That was more money than I had probably made the 18 months combined. And uh, that was it. You know what? That was, that was the last night of my life that I had ever made less than $300. I have never had a single night that I didn't make $300. Did you ever find out who this guy was? I'm just curious. Or, nope. or did he actually, he was true to his word. He remained a secret. Because I have a feeling this is probably some like, it's probably some billionaire or something. No clue <laughs> who the person is. I tell this story as much as I possibly can in hopes that one day someone will tell me. And, you know, like really tell me because everyone plays pranks and jokes. I'm like, oh, it was me. I'm like, no. No, you know, you know who I think it was? I think it was you in the future sending hmm. a message back to yourself in time. Could be. Heck yes. That's what I'll I buy think. that. So, uh so so now from there you you went on to realize that you can make money with content and is this how learn kind of came about no so learns yes obviously is part of the journey but learn learn came about because far much far later in my life i was so when i started growing that night i made 300 dollars. things clicked i understood the idea of how funnels work traffic works how sales work how pre-sales work how i started really understanding copywriting and I grew the company from that $300 to 10 million a year in six years. And so wow. when I graduated college, I was flying high, man. I was speaking on the biggest stages. I told you I lived in my parents' basement because I was traveling 70, 75% of the year. And just my business was booming and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was an entrepreneur, I guess, but definitely not a CEO. And then 2008 happens and nothing really happened to my business. But by 2009, everything fell apart. Our industry always takes about a year to, to have an impact. And this is my warning to all of you in our space, selling entrepreneurship training. I know what's going on right now has increased business for many, but please beware that the economic impact on our industry is always a little delayed. I've lived through this, I've seen it nearly ended my life. Um, and so I'm preparing now ahead of time, but by mid 2009, I wasn't ready for it, man. Revenues plummeted, my costs gone up. I was trying to build. So you ready for this? This is the first time I'm publicly revealing this on a podcast, it's kind of interesting. Why do I call the company Learn, L-U-R-N? I had an idea on an elliptical machine to build an education open marketplace where people could publish education and content and courses on any topic they wanted. Believe it or not, the, I, I've actually tracked this back. If you look at Udemy's story, the founders of Udemy began working on their platform within a 60-day window of when I had begun working on mine. Wow. Huh. On different that, parts of the world, obviously not knowing each other at all, but they were developers. I don't know. I can't code my way out of a paper bag. 
But you know, th- th- this is a th- this is not an uncommon phenomenon where uh, you know uh, world records will suddenly be broken in a row at the same time. There'll be uh, you know a, a, two of the a, same a, movie come out the same year, like every year. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just like like ideas, uh, certain technologies will suddenly be developed, and it's almost like uh, I feel that there's this untapped sort of component in human consciousness where. Uh, there is like a like a pool of consciousness that we uh, collectively unconsciously tap into and pull ideas out of uh, every once in a while. And it's available to all of us, but only very few people are able to tune into that. And, you know, I think that that sometimes when you have mystical experiences, it's like a tuning fork. It it brings you closer to the ability to to pull that that information out of out of the void, if you will. Um, so so you you when you saw did did Udemy uh, launch? And if you're not familiar with it, you know it's a learning platform where people can monetize uh, learning like digital curriculums. Uh, now, did that launch before you launched your website? So here's the whole story. So basically, I was trying to build it. I built an entire office, an entire team in India. I had 100 employees. Every time I had a technical problem, I threw someone new at it. I had 50 developers between US and India. And we were building a heap of crap. Um, It wasn't working. It was falling apart. It was breaking. I was losing money. By mid-2010, guys, I was $1.7 million in debt. Oh, my God. My parents had mortgaged their entire home to save my ass. It was so bad. Did you did you um, owe money to Russians or or were you? Uh, just like you know what? Banks? That's probably the only people in the world I didn't owe money to, and that's probably <laughs> next. I owe. Yeah, because Visa, if, if you could have been president, if you uh, actually <laughs> yeah. owed money to the Russians. Oh man, I, I I owed money to Visa, Mastercard, American Express. My best friend gave me his life savings of one hundred seventy thousand dollars. My parents wow. went whole life paying off their house, mortgaged it again for me. I was a mess. I was ending up in the hospital with internal bleeding every three to four months. I was because you had Crohn's disease during all of this, yes. and and you know. A buddy of mine had Crohn's disease and that guy, like his teeth fell out. He was like, he got cancer really easily. I mean, it's no joke. It's no it's, joke. Listen, I started drinking. I'm not, I, I'm not shy about this. I was borderline alcoholic. If I, if I hadn't gotten my act together, uh, I was a couple months away from being a, a raging alcoholic, which is not something you should do when you have ulcers in your stomach. I mean, yeah. that's why I was having so many problems, so many hospitalizations and um, I fell massively into debt. And there is a there is a third angelic moment in my life that saved my life um, that got me to have that big turnaround moment. And I almost died, though. It was like a near death experience. But um, another person in my life who saved me, who I don't know who they are, and I'll never be able to thank them. I've tried. But um, but just getting to to cutting to it, I was at a I had to shut down everything. I had to fire all my employees. Now, here's the best thing that came out of my India operation that I had to shut down fully. I, I left India was I met my wife. She was the head of my HR in my India company, oh. uh, completely not allowed for us to be dating, but, uh, um, that's cool. I met her, uh, there, we eventually got married and she is the rock upon which I stand. She's amazing. So, um, but she was the one who brought it to me one day as we were basic, as I was basically having to face reality that I was gonna have to throw away all my code for the platform that we had spent years building and put me in debt. She comes running into my office in India and says, have you seen this? Opens a laptop and there it was, Udemy. And I remember thinking, oh crap. Um, Now I'll tell you this, I take great pride in the fact that Udemy is now worth close to $4 billion. So I I take great pride in the fact that maybe I messed up the execution, but the idea with my brain is capable. Um, And what happened after that is I completely fell apart. I had to let go of everybody. Um, I had a moment, you know, in, in travel and transit where I almost died, almost, you know, uh, literally ended up in a hospital and that was a big awakening for me. 
came back, shut everything down. And I had to pay the debt back. I was not going to declare bankruptcy. My lawyers were like, declare bankruptcy. I'm like, who am I going to tell my parents? Sorry, I can't pay you back. Uh-uh, not happening. I got to figure this out. So I went back to the basics. I went back to very basics, get rid of this massive big dream I have and just go back to the basics that had made me my first so much money. And I was able to pay everybody back and be back on top in 16 months. I paid back 1.7 million in debt and built the company back up to 10 million a year in about 16 months. And that was when I asked myself, listen, man, I'm like 30 years old. What am I going to do? Or not even, I was like 27, 28. Like, what's my life going to be about? Like, what do I want to do? And that was when the real learn was born because I remember thinking to myself, I have a true, 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 true passion for entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship is one of the loneliest things you can do. You know, think about it. If you're an engineer, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, every day you go hang out with your own creed. Every day you're around your own type of people. It's entrepreneurs that never get to commune like that. And we are always on our own and it's very lonely. So that was when I said, you know, learn is going to be an education platform, but only for entrepreneurs. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And I don't want to just be a platform. I want to build a true community, virtual and physical. Most people don't realize I have a 26,000 square foot facility here in Maryland with lecture halls, play like literally like video game room, nap room, video studios, audio studios, co-workspace offices. I have a playground for entrepreneurs that I want to build all over the world because it communes. It helps us all come together and be crazy together. So that was a true vision of learn, which came out of a lot of pain, a lot of testing, a lot of debt, a lot of <laughs> loss. But that ever since I dialed that in, man, I wake up every morning just ready to freaking attack. And it's been amazing. That's awesome. And I want to hear, I want to hear a little bit about, um, so when you, when you had this, like this fall, where you were making, you know, over, what was it $10 million, um, $10 million of revenue a year at one point. How, how did you accumulate all that debt? Where, where were the leaks? I know I know, 2008 hit, the economy crashed, um, and it took a year, you said, to like a delay in, in, the, in the revenue. Was it because you had too many employees? Like, where were the leaks in the business that would put you into that level of debt um, that you had to climb your way out of? Absolutely. Too, too many employees, too many highly paid employees, um, too uh, offices. I had three offices at one point. So I had a pretty big office in in U.S. I had two offices in India. Um, I was, I owed a lot of money to affiliates. So I would do a big promotion, <laughs> right. And I'd get yeah. my friends and partners to promote, but I was basically playing a Ponzi scheme because I had to pay bills that week. We'd run a promotion they'd promote. And I knew I owed them money in 30 days, but I would use that money to pay the bills that week. And it yeah, just started tough. expanding. Oh extending. my God. That's crazy. It's, it's amazing that you got out of that. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. uh, that's, well, uh, what really helped me get out of it was the fact that I was an honest person and I had great relationships. So I was able to call all of these people and say, look, this is what happened. I'm really sorry, but you've known me for many years. I will make good on this plus interest. Help me out. And I was just really blessed, man. Amazing people. In my life. Can you imagine my best friend at the time had $180,000 in his bank account and he took 170 and gave it to me. That's incredible. Wow. That, that is incredible because uh, if, if Justin asked me for like 20 bucks, I might do it. I'd have to think about it. It'd be a fight. It. It'd be a struggle, but you might do yeah, it. Yeah, I might give him fifteen, but uh, you know that's about it. Yeah. So, uh, well, well, so, so, what? When did learn? Like, what was the 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 final thing when you were like, okay, so I'm going to build this platform now? Did you build it from scratch? Like, is that code all yours, basically? Like, how did that? How did the building of it? Because we had a, a guest on here once 
who uh, <laughs> built a platform, and they said uh, that it, if you if you make a successful platform, it's like building an ATM machine. But uh, if you want to build a platform, the first thing you do is you open a window and start shoveling money out the out the window. <laughs> I, I believe he uh, said you take a you take a million dollars cash and you set it on fire. And oh that's yeah, how you start, that's how you start a SaaS company. That was Ryan Levesque actually that said that. So just for some context, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so so what uh, like like you you then had to build the platform and that is that from scratch. So I would tell Ryan um, he's he's fifty percent right. And the, the part he's right about is that you have to open the window and burn cash. I would say it's way more than a million. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so the answer is, yep, we built it from scratch. The other answer is, even though this was my fourth attempt at building it, I still was dumb, didn't understand technology building, waste, didn't do it the right way. Now I got it. I got it dialed in now, finally. And uh, we have an amazing team. We have an amazing leader that just literally started a week ago that's uh, going to lead that team because I just don't understand tech. But uh, yeah, built it from scratch. Uh, still building it. It's a hungry monster. It eats like crazy. It takes up all the net income. I'm, it's the stupidest thing for me to do. If I want to make money, I would live a much simpler life without it, but I'd be miserable and it wouldn't be fun. And I already have a ton of money and I want to do something that helps other people. So we probably have another two years of building into that platform before it actually gets to 80% of the vision I've had for it. Um, but it's already serving so many people. It's already doing so many amazing things, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, Whew, it uh, let's just say, you know, life would be simpler without it, but life wouldn't be nearly as fun without it. Well, I want to get into some of this. Uh, I mean, some of the tactics, too, here, because, you know, you're known for your copywriting, um, your copywriting skill set, your copywriting abilities, you're teaching entrepreneurs about that. Um, you you were t in the bio, you talk about like the psychology behind sales and marketing a bit. I'd, I'd like to spend a little bit of time and change gears a bit to to kind of get into to some of these tactics that you're teaching and like, who are some of the influences on uh, where you're learning, uh, where you're learning this stuff from, like for myself, like I, I read a lot of like Robert Cialdini, things like that. So I'm wondering if that's like an influence on you as well. Uh, but can you talk just a little bit about that? And we, I mean, I, I just want to get, I want I don't want to include this in the interview today. And I know we're, we're kind of getting towards the, getting towards the end. So I want I want to get in a little bit on these tactics of like copywriting and, and marketing that you've kind of accumulated over your time. And also, like just just the in, the the in general, like if you have a digital, if you have knowledge that you want to sell, like what's the best way to go about that as well? Yeah, love to. All right, um, let me address the knowledge sell question because it's a simpler simpler answer, and there's no better time right now than to to address it right now. You're stuck at home. Ninety percent of the world's stuck at home, and there's such a best uh, an amazing time. Listen, guys, selling information actually today versus you know ten years ago, fifteen, twenty years ago, is so freaking easy. The first thing you need to do, I'll just give you the first step before you try to sell anything, is build an audience. You need to pick one platform and you need to build an audience. Now, for me, the choice is the choice platform is email because it's the only one out of all the options you have that you own. No one can take it away from you. But if you need some other options, I'll give you two other ones that are great, YouTube and Facebook groups. Nothing else. Don't build an Instagram audience. Don't build a Snapchat audience. Don't build a TikTok audience. They're what all about a podcast? <laughs> podcasts are great. I love podcasts. The reason you don't hear me say podcasts is because I podcasts are harder, in my opinion. Um, for people like myself, a podcast was amazing. I could launch it. Um, I think if you, uh, I teach how to integrate the podcast strategy into YouTube, and now all of a sudden you can do both. But just a podcast through the audio format, it's it's a it's tough, and a lot of people aren't going to be patient enough with the time it takes. Um, but what I always say about podcasts is it's really hard to get off the ground, but holy moly, once you get it off, like it's just, it's amazing, right? Because it won't go away as long as you keep up with it. 
Um, but pick one platform, start putting content on it on a regular basis, promoting it as much as you can do it the hard way, get people following you. When you have an audience of even a hundred people, I did an, uh, I did an episode with, um, Alexander Katoni, which was so awesome. She started building this YouTube channel focused around just copywriting and didn't monetize it at all. She just likes talking about copywriting and it just started taking off. And she just recently launched a eight week copywriting program where she just literally once a week will get on and teach people it was like three grand. And if I'm not mistaken, her launch quote unquote, which was her letting her audience know, Hey, I'm doing this. Go ahead. 60 grand. So what you need to understand is there's platforms out there now, like Kajabi, Teachable, ClickFunnels that literally allow you to set up a members area and payment system. You do not need to be a brilliant copywriter. If you've spent a month or two building an audience up that loves and trusts you, you need to throw up some ugly pages. You don't have to even create the coursework or content beforehand. You can deliver it on time, like, you know, like she's doing or like I've done many times. So it's really easy. But the core thing to selling information that makes it easy is audience plus trust. And there's no better time to devote to this. And you don't have to do fancy videos. Listen, a, a webcam and PowerPoint or a webcam and your desktop, that's more than enough. People don't care about the fanciness. They care about the value of the content. So you do that. And then you plug into one of these existing platforms and throw up a members area with a crappy sales page and announce something. I have another student. He did a Reddit. He did a few Reddit posts recently. He was just answering copywriting questions for people. And ended up building an email list of like 175 people. Nothing huge, man. This is nothing to write home about. And then all of a sudden does a little launch for a $300 product or something and ends up pulling out six grand. Wow. It was like something stupid nuts. And I'm like, wow. So, but every one of these random fluke stories with content selling is they're all accidentally building an audience first just because they love teaching or talking about the topic. And do that and monetize later. That's, uh, that's pretty, uh, that's, I mean, it's, it's great. It's just like, as, uh, Justin always, uh, says version one is better than version none. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so now, um, you are, uh, you know, learn is, is growing and, and can you talk a little bit about what learn is? Cause we didn't even talk about what the platform does. Sure. And then, uh, Justin, I knew you wanted to talk about copywriting. So I'll try to come back and maybe give a few minutes on that, but, um, yeah. I know we're getting close on time. Learn is a facilitation house. We are out there getting the best of the best, getting their content, publishing it in the platform. We have Robert Kiyosaki, Les Brown, Bob Proctor. We've got some of the best training on email marketing, Facebook ads, copywriting, YouTube ads, social media, video production. I mean, you name it. We want to be a depository in a, a place where, uh, Entrepreneurs can get training on anything they want. We have over 100 courses. It's absolutely free to join. If you go to lurn.com, it's a play on the word, lurn.com, absolutely free to join. We have tons of courses that are free, tons of courses that are $7, and tons of ones that are more. Over time, we're adding a lot of community features. You'll be able to connect with other entrepreneurs, work together, all free. We're adding on-demand training, Q&A sections, lots of cool things coming out soon. And um, yeah, it's, it's got 380,000 members already right now. Our mission is to get to 10 million worldwide and uh, to literally connect entrepreneurs all over the world. That's amazing, man. So so let me ask you this. I mean, especially, you know, you're right. Right now is the best time to, uh, you know, update your skills, really learn. And, you know, if you're in marketing, it, 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 even, even if the world turns into Mad Max, uh, you know, the bullet farm is still going to need a marketer, right? They're going to need to market the bullets, and uh, and and the same thing with Gasoline Town. They, they're going to need uh, they're going to need uh, someone to market that. So so the the where where do you think? And and we still I still wanted to talk to you about 
uh, what Justin brought up, like your your methodology. Uh, but uh, but it, it, this kind of ties into that. What do you think the the, the post Corona world is going to look like? How is that going to change marketing in your mind? And and then I also want to get into your tactics and how you the nuts and bolts of what you do. Sure. Okay. So I can tell you exactly what's going to happen for us online people post Corona. I'm pretty confident about this because I've been, I'm a data person, numbers person, very observant. I do watch politics. I do watch economics a lot. Um, it's kind of what I geek out on and do for fun. Listen, um, we're going to see a huge impact. The economic impact of what happened and the shutdown, we've not felt yet. We will feel over the months to come because even as we start slowly rolling things out, many, many businesses are going to shut down. Many, many people are not going to be able to get their jobs back. Many more may even lose their jobs. At some point, the government won't be able to continue cutting checks. That's going to stop soon. You can do it for another month, month and a half. But the, the, the impact and consumer behavior and how they make decisions to spend their money is going to become very serious right now. People have free money. They're still spending it on things like courses and all of that. And they're still being impulsive, but slowly and slowly, they're going to get more concerned as the economic rollout and impact happens. I don't believe what we're seeing in the markets is true at all. It's fake confidence because the feds, the the federal government's actually pouring trillions of dollars into the market to inflate the market. They can't do that forever. Also, when businesses start to finally fall apart, when airlines and all these other companies start to finally go into production and realize, oh my God, no one's flying. No one's voluntarily going to restaurants. No one's really going to sporting events. No one. That is when you're going to see the true impact on the markets and everything. So not to be doom and gloom, but (laughs) how is that going to impact our industry? It's going to impact funnels completely. It's going to impact consumer. See, when I teach copywriting, I talk very simple. I don't think words matter. I'm not the person that says, here's your trigger words. Here's your power words. Here's your adjectives. And here's your verbs. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is addressing the psychology, addressing the mind and addressing consumer behavior consumers are not going to be as impulsive anymore. They're going to have money. Don't get me wrong. People will still spend, especially depending on whatever industry you're in. Yes, sorry. If you cater to the travel industry, you're in for a bit of a pain for a while. But if you're in the industry like we are, like teaching entrepreneurs, we're there's tons of interest in our space. But we lean a lot, like in my company and many of, we lean a lot on webinars that lead to, you know, a thousand or $2,000 products that's going to change. We're going to have to start recrafting our funnels so that we give people a front end that is much less expensive to facilitate the impulse purchase, build the relationship of value with them, and then put them on the webinar. They'll still buy. Revenues will still climb. We'll be okay, but you can't, you're going to have to change what you put in front of people first. This, by the way, this lesson, if everyone's listening, was what I learned. If I remember, I said how I got myself back out of um, debt in 16 months. That was the biggest fundamental change I made at late 2009, early 2010 that allowed me to save my business and save my life. Um, It was flipping the fact I've been through these waves. I've been around this industry for 17 years now. I've seen it all. And I'm telling you right now, within the next six months, we're going to have to change the way we approach consumers because their behavior will change. So we'll be we'll be coming back to those kind of like tripwire style funnels then where we got the low, the low entry point. And then the uh, maybe a mid mid tier offer, and then the the high back end. I, I said it here first. It's on record. I called it. It's going to happen. Now, now, does this fall into? And in, in, before we we go, I I really want to get into the real question. Is uh, you have a five step copywriting formula that you use to sell two hundred fifty million with an M uh, dollars worth of products. Uh, what 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 is that five step copywriting formula and 
how is it going to be different? Are you going to augment it at all hmm. post-corona? Nope. Can't augment it, can't change it. You, you can't change it because it's just the, the human mind isn't going to change, right? Um, how humans make decisions will change, but the human mind will never change. It's been the same forever. So the five-step formula will remain the same. I'll go through it real quick because it actually takes me about 20, 25 minutes to go through it properly. But here's the five steps. I'm going to completely underwhelm the crap out of you right now. It's introduction, story, content, transition, pitch. Those are the five steps. I know it doesn't sound that, uh, that like revolutionary, but it's how I use the five steps. Most people don't understand them right. I am purpose driven. I always say I'm a very purpose driven marketer. So I write my copy and I communicate. Listen, I'm an introvert. I'm a shy person. You ever put me in a party 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I would hide in the corner. Today, you put me in a party within five minutes, I'll have a room full of people around me, center of attention, because human mind receives communication in a pattern and appreciates communication in a certain pattern where whether you're selling them or simply trying to talk to them. And the purpose of the introduction is not to introduce yourself. No one cares about you. I'm sorry to say that. The purpose of the introduction is to tell the person what's in it for them. Story. Everyone starts to say, oh, once upon a time I was born, I won all these awards. People think the purpose of story is credibility. It is not. The purpose of story is relatability. So I always teach this concept of play yourself down play your solution up. You should not be on a pedestal. It's what you're selling that should be on a pedestal. You should be like them. Make them feel like they can relate to you. The third step, um, content. A lot of people think content is about teaching. 20 years ago, if you told a salesperson to put content in their pitch, they'd laugh at you. But today, the consumers have the ultimate control. Think about how different it is for us. We can make decisions by researching you in a heartbeat. We couldn't do that 20 years ago. So consumers won't even consume your pitch unless they feel like they're getting some form of value. And it's actually in the content section that people get sold. It's not the pitch, it's the content. And so what's the purpose of content? It's credibility. If you can't give me at least one or two aha moments in your sales pitch to me, what value could you bring to me if I give you money? The third is, uh, the fourth step is transition. What's the purpose of that? Answer the biggest why in the room. Why are you charging me what you're charging me? Why are you charging me at all? Are you premium priced? Why are you premium priced? Get me set up to hear your price. Do it properly because otherwise it's going to be a shock to me. You never want to shock someone in a price. And step number five is pitch. The least important step of them all, even though people think it's the most important. And people think the pitch is to get the sale. It's not. It's to confirm the sale. They're already sold if they're listening to your pitch. The only question left is how much. And so what you need to do is build immense value in your offer. You need to show the person that every dollar they give you, you'll give them $10 back. So my copywriting formula, my communication formula, my sales formula is all structured around making sure I follow that path. And I don't mess it up. I go in that order and I've done it now. Uh, I got my wife to marry me thanks to the repetition of that five-step formula. <laughs> um, and I've used it for everything. I use it for communicating with my employees to get them to do what I want them to do. I get, I use it to communicate with my parents. You want to get your wife to agree to let you go on that golf trip this weekend. This is the formula that works and it's not going to change tactically how I apply it will change, but the actual formula will not. I like the, I like the story elements that you're talking about because I've experienced this in my own like copywriting journey and just like in sales in general, the idea of playing yourself down and being like, you know, I was like that too, but this solution is what pulled me out of this rut and it can do the same for you. And, and I think that's those kind of words. Like I was like that too, are really, really powerful for a lot of people um, because it, it, it just kind of, yeah, like you said, it makes you relatable, but it also lets that person put themselves in your shoes and be like, okay, if he did it, then I can do it. I mean, this is something that's possible for anyone. 
Yeah, and as the saying goes, it's always good to relate to somebody and walk a mile in their shoes because then you're a mile away from them and you have their shoes. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so, uh, so where can we, where can we like learn more about your process? Uh, uh, like the, 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 these five steps, did you, you wrote a book, uh, a couple of books. Did you cover any of this in, in one of those books? Yes, I did. So, um, a couple of things, first of all, I want to invite everyone to listen to my podcast as well. Um, very tactical. We go over really specific marketing strategies and my podcast episodes, you can listen to it. You can actually go do whatever we teach. Uh, go, it's just the fighting entrepreneur, the fighting entrepreneur. But if you want to see my book, go to and join my Facebook community for absolutely free. It's a whole community, 21,000 members that all talk about copywriting. Go to silentseller.com forward slash FB for Facebook. So silentseller.com forward slash FB. When you join the Facebook group, my book, the link to download my book will be the top posted, uh, pin top pinned post there. It's called my, my book is called the silent salesman, how I sold over a quarter billion dollars worth of products using my five-step copy formula. So awesome. I'm uh, going to get that. <laughs> there's an audio book for free and a digital read. So if you want to listen to the audio versus, you know, whatever, it's up to, up to you. Before you go, I have a couple questions here. One, I want, I want to ask your, your opinion, like how you approach email subject lines for like, what, what, I mean, is it, is it about attention? Like how do, how do you approach like a subject line? I'd like to, I'd like to get into that. Cause I know you've written like one of your books is the email lifeline. You, you do, you mentioned that your copywriting is, uh, is primarily for an email based audience. So I'd like yeah. to, I'd like to just hear a little bit about, how you approach subject lines. Um, and can, can you speak to that a bit? Sure. I approach subject lines using two key things and it's the same two key things I use to write hooks, headlines or anything. The first thing I look at is the narrative. It's a very important word. If you're learning conversion from me inside of conversion Academy, we've got tons of students there. Uh, it, they they're sick of it. Their ears bleed when they hear the word narrative because I think copywriting and selling is all about narrative. Like right now, if you are selling in this industry and not addressing that we have a problem going on in the world, you're not, you're, it's stupid. Like people don't relate to you. There's a narrative. So even in your list, even in your promotions, there's a narrative. What did you just get done mailing? What did you mail yesterday? What did you promote? What did you talk about? What did they resonate with? And so the first thing is my subject line has to follow the narrative. It has to be a smooth wave of the communication of what I was talking about, what I've been talking about, and then it's kind of segueing through. So that helps me figure out what approach I'll take, what topic I'll talk about. Am I going to go blind subject line? Am I going to go salesy subject line? Or am I going to go like a story type open loop subject line? The second is the most important. And this is the most important element to teach people how to come up with powerful headlines and powerful everything. How, what is your consumer right this minute thinking, but not speaking? Hmm. That is going to always get attention. If you can call someone out on a fear, a thought, a belief that they have inside, but are almost too embarrassed to say out loud. Then you become get, president. Yes, <laughs> you are going to get their attention. You guys joke, but that's exactly how Donald Trump became president. Well, and also a lot of uh, a lot of stand up comedy, uh, stand up comedians use that as their basis for telling jokes because there has to be some truth to it to make it funny. Uh, now, I also had to ask about the podcast here because the, the name, the fighting entrepreneur. I mean, is this, is this just go back to your story about how like you <laughs> you kind of fought your way and, and that or what's the what's that about the title? Yeah. Um, if you, so I have a little slogan, I say at the end of everything I ever do, and I'll probably say it at the end of this, this interview as well. I, I always say, I've been saying this by the way, for 
almost like 15, 15, 14, 15 years, I always say when life pushes you, stand straight, smile and push it the heck back. It's been my motto about life forever. Guys, I've faced every horrible thing you can possibly imagine. I've nearly bled to death um, on an airplane. Um, I have uh, blacked out and I had to woke up, woke up in a hospital. I've uh, My parents had to be called in uh, in 2002 uh, I was in the hospital for uh, three and a half months in the ICU, bleeding every day, getting two pints of blood to stay alive. And they had to do a surgery finally. And they told my parents, call everybody because 50-50 chance this kid's going to wake up after the surgery. So let's say our goodbyes. Um, I've been bankrupt. I've been backed on top. I've just lived it all. And the only thing that got me through it was the fighter mentality. I remember when I got out of the hospital, the nurse came to me and I remember what she said to me. She said, I just want to tell you, she'd been a nurse forever. And she said, I want to tell you something. You should not be alive. You should be dead. And I'm like, that's nice. And she's like, no, I want you to hear me out. The doctors did not save you. The medicine did not save you. And the surgery did not save you. You saved you. It was your attitude. I've never seen a patient like you who could smile while, I mean, I was at a point in the hospital where I couldn't even sit up. If I sat up, my heart would spike at 175 beats a minute. They'd think I'd go to cardiac arrest. I had to lay flat. I lost the ability to walk after three and a half months in the ICU. I had to re go through because my legs went, became jello. And she's like, yet you played pranks on us. Yet you had fun with the nurses. She's like, that attitude is what's made you survive. And, and that's the fighter attitude. So that's yeah. why I call it the fighting entrepreneur. It's like, if you're an entrepreneur, if you don't have the fighter mentality, man, you're not going to make it. It's just necessary. Well, I'll say real quick that I'm probably one of the few people that can kind of relate to that because I spent two months in the ICU and I, um, same thing. Like I, if I sat up, my heart would race. If I walked from the bed to the door, my heart was like having like a heart attack. And then by the time I got out of the ICU bed, you know, I, same thing. I could barely walk. I couldn't open heavy doors. Like yeah. all my muscles yeah. were gone because I, part of that was in a medical coma, a whole nother story. But the, I get it because it was a, it's a huge struggle to come back from that. So, and like, like you, I, I was told that, you know, my more, the mortality rate of what I had was like 80%. So I was not supposed to survive. The doctors were shocked that I, the, the doctors and the nurses were shocked that I made it out of there. And, and it, it created that kind of fighter spirit in me too. And I, I'm just kind of just relating that it, you know, it was a battle to get back from that. I mean, it was a struggle. And so uh, I'm just saying it's, it's really cool to, it's kind of funny how when we go through those struggles, sometimes we end up in like these entrepreneurial type of roles. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's just, and I was also saying just, it's been a pleasure to have you on today. I'd love to hear your story. Uh, I'm definitely going to dive more into to your content. And then, uh, and then Andros, uh, I think wanted to, to ask you about some geeky stuff. Yeah. So uh, before we go, uh, we, I want to do a lightning round and find out what everybody's geek uh, favorite thing is of, of the week. So what are, you, what are you most geeky about at this very particular moment? TV show, book, movie, video game, uh, flower collecting, whatever it is. <laughs> oh, man. I don't, I don't know how to answer this because I'm geeking out about a lot of stuff. So uh, professionally, I'm really geeking out right now on just uh, the new way we're going to have to survive. Um, I'm all about funnel testing, evergreen data absorption. I'm a big data guy. So I'm taking in all pieces of data. I want to be able to help our industry. I want to get ahead of this. This is one where I have some unique background and knowledge. Not everyone will. So I want to be able to see what's going to work, what isn't. I'm also really geeking out and missing being an affiliate, believe it or not. So I'm getting ready to launch a new affiliate business in a new space because I just miss being an active email marketer. I mean, I market email for like learn, but I just miss that. Um, drinking my own Kool-Aid, you know, been teaching it so much. So, so there's that, um, on the personal side, really geek out on, um, 
Uh, I want to get my pilot's license. So I just got a home simulator kit because I'm stuck at home. I'm going to be setting it up this weekend. And I want to, when we get let out of this thing and can move around and have interaction with humans, I want to get my pilot's license. I love that. I, quick, wait, hold on, short, short question real quick, because uh, you mentioned the evergreen funnels and everything. I just want to, um, what's your take on these ever like evergreen webinars, like, you know, the ever webinar model where they have like the fake comments and like kind of the, uh, the fake timers, all that versus like just putting a video out there on the, onto the, uh, onto the page for people to watch in an evergreen format. What, which, which philosophy do you uh, subscribe to in that, in, in that regard? Just short answer. The fake stuff works. I just can't sleep at night when I do it. So we actually had shut it all off. All of our stuff so far, the last few months has been crushing, has been live. We are going back to Evergreen, but we are going to go to what we call on-demand. So it will be a marriage of on-demand videos with comments and stuff, but they won't be fake. And that's just more of a personal choice. I hold absolutely nothing against those who do it the other way. I get it. But um, personally for us, we have such a big brand and we're out there in such a big way. Um, doing anything that could be perceived as lying is just not going to work for us. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel kind of, I just feel weird about it when I'm using the, like the fake comments and like trying to insert them right here. And like, <laughs> it's just funny. <laughs> Thank you. And what are you, what, what are you binge watching? Ah, good question. Um, we had, uh, I, I'm not finding anything I can just fall in love with. Uh, but right now I'm, I'm watching, I'm not binging cause it's not that interesting to me is Ozark. I get it. A lot of people are like, Ozark is amazing it's okay i mean it's something to watch you guys got a suggestion let me know but i haven't found well, anything like i've been watching have you seen have you seen the leftovers on hbo i've not that is that it's it's one of the best series ever made well, there you go let me write that down my wife and i have been really looking since you're a business something. guy i think you'd buy like there's a show called succession on hbo that i really enjoy uh there's two seasons Done, of it. watched it i, I like that yeah, you like that show it Yes, it was good. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. good. And then um, Better Call Saul, man. Uh, that's like that's my alta, that's my top show right now, which is uh, they're really they're on, OK, because I love Breaking Bad. I thought Better Call Saul wasn't as good the first few episodes I saw. But yeah, I've heard a few people say that it, it gets a lot better. It's a really slow build. So it's, okay. it builds uh, slower than Breaking Bad did. But when you're getting into like season they're ending season five here on Monday, uh, it's real good right now. So it's, it's really getting into. Oh, OK, that's great. I could finally watch it. I always wait until the till show is done. So I know that it's not going to suck after a while. <laughs> and I know that uh, I can just binge watch the whole thing. And not you, you got one more year, though, Andres, because there's going to be a season six. So you got to wait one more year. Well, by the time I watch it, uh, <laughs> it'll be it like a shorter isn't it crazy how spoiled we are in this society today? It's oh like, man, it is. We nuts. are just such, we are such prima donnas about everything. It's like, Oh, it's, it's so true because we so like, and that's, that's going to be the, the thing that I think human beings as a species are going to have to get over is this on demand. I want it now society. Uh, I mean, it, Corona is going to mess up supply chains. It's going to recalibrate the planet. And, uh, uh, I, I think that people are going to have to lower their expectations a little bit, you know? <laughs> well, Andres, I experienced this for myself for the first time where you had mentioned like kind of how like Khalil grew up. There's, you know, there's no commercials. So we were, uh, we were watching, I think I put on Hulu or something and I have my son who's, uh, he's going to turn two next month. And we, we put on, I put on like a TV show and it went to, you know, it's a kid's show and it went to commercial. And this is like the first time you'd ever experienced a commercial. He started screaming. He's like, <laughs> talking about being spoiled. This is a kid that never had to deal with commercials. You know, like when we were growing up, we always had like constant, like four, eight commercials oh, yeah. in between, in between every 10 minutes of our cartoons. Uh, but it's just funny because talk about being spoiled. Like you get even a, a smallest interruption creates like a huge tantrum. And like, if someone that doesn't, isn't used to it. 
Uh, and just the way people are advertised, I'll leave, you, I'll leave you with this one last little anecdote, which is kind of funny. I'm putting Khalil to bed, my son, who's five, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to get him involved in music a little bit. And so I, I have a musician that I've been learning to play guitar and ukulele and keyboard. And I said, uh, hey, you know, do you want to use that app to learn how to play keyboard? And he said, well, uh, can, we use, can we use Easy Piano? And I go, Easy Piano? He goes, yes, it's the easiest way to learn how to play piano. And I was like, who told you that tagline? Because that was marketing. And he goes, oh, uh, well, that's what they said in the commercial. And I realized that th this kid will only, because I let him play Angry Birds every once in a while when his, his work is done. Uh, but they, they, it's, it's ad supported. And the ads that they've been playing are for this, uh, this <laughs> app called Easy Piano. That's the commercials that he sees. He didn't see any other commercials. But it, it worked because the marketer banked on the fact that that kid would say that tagline to me and I would download the app. And damn it, I did. <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Uh, man, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Uh, we, uh, we really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, been, it's, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I wish, I wish we had more time because uh, obviously there's a lot of information in your head that uh, I would love to learn more about. But, uh, you know, definitely check out uh, Learn. That's L-U-R-N.com. Uh, Anik Singhal, everybody, thank you so so much. I just want to say thank you guys for being uh, for you know having me on. I want to thank all the listeners for giving us their time, and uh, it's been an honor. And as I always say, when life pushes you, stand straight, smile, and push it the heck back. Oh, right on, right on, man! Great show. Uh, so uh, Anik Singhal, uh, Anik Singhal, everybody, that was uh, that was really great. Uh, Justin, what do you got for me? Anything? Anything groovy? Oh, I mean, that was, uh, I really, I mean, enjoyed the interview and it's kind of cool that to hear like how many times in his story, he had these like things that everybody else kind of wants. Like, you know, he was like in the medical school that only 60 people could get into. And then he was into the finance school that like nobody could get into, but both times he, he like, wasn't what he wanted. And so he, you know, he kind of asked for help from the universe and the universe answered in a couple different ways. And so that's kind of. I think it's cool. And I've, I've experienced some of that in my life. Um, not all the time, but I mean, you know, part of the reason I'm still alive is because of things like that. So I have to, you know, I think it's important to keep your kind of eyes and ears open for the signs and to be Absolutely. humble enough to ask for help when you need it. So, yeah. And, and asking for help is, is really hard. I mean, uh, some people feel that it's a sign of weakness, but truly it's a sign of strength when you can ask for help on any level. Yeah. That's, I think that's one of the, yeah, the big areas of, developing as a human <laughs> is yeah, yeah. when you, when you get to that point where you can actually ask for help and not feel shame or embarrassed about it, because like you said, it, it really is. It's, it's a, it's a sign of strength. Yeah. And something tells me though, that this guy's really smart and, uh, that's something that I, I don't know if I have. So, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, he did get into a 60 person medical school. So, uh, and he was studying for the SAT at what do you say in sixth grade or something? <laughs> yeah, man. I never even took the SAT. I think if, honestly, if you put a gun to my head and you were like, you've got to pass the SAT, I'd be like, well, fuck, I guess we're in for a long night, you know? And, and you'd probably <laughs> score like, you probably score like a 1500 too, or I should change the scores now though. So I don't even know what a good score is anymore. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but, uh, you know, being intelligent definitely helps, but also, you know, it sounds like he, he made a lot of mistakes like uh, we all do, but it's really just, again, uh, as, uh, as, as, uh, Jack Nicholas, the golfer once said, someone asked him like, how do you, how'd you get so good? And he goes, well, it's all luck. And <laughs> the more I practice, the luckier I get. So 
I like I like that. And then uh, also, it makes me inspired to start a SaaS company. All these people telling me to burn. He's like, you know, burn more than a million dollars. So I'm, I want to just get a barrel full of money and light it on fire and start my SaaS company already. This is exciting. Yeah, man. I think that's the first thing we got to do. So uh, if our seven listeners are interested, you can send us each a dollar. <laughs> and uh, we will we'll then we'll light us. it on fire. <laughs> we'll have seven bucks that we can light on fire, and that will be the start of our SaaS company. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the Marketing Geeks. Thank you so much. Please share the show with 500 of your closest friends. Leave a comment, even if it's if you think we suck. We uh, oh, especially, you know, especially if you think we suck. We got We got to read our, our mean tweets uh, pretty soon because I think we got a few of them now. But uh, with that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are the Marketing Geeks, and we are out. Stay classy. Marketing Geeks, come on, bring your friends. We'll learn marketing from distant lands. Andrew Sturgeon and Justin Womack, the fun will never end. It's Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks.